This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, guys, I'm not sure to what degree we've ever done best practices here on Cardinals Underground, but I put the question to you, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, yours truly, Pauly Podcast over here. Do you think we should effective immediately adopt any of the best practices advanced by Nickelodeon the other day? Did you happen? I just saw where they they garnered two million plus viewers, their most watched program in four years. So I'm wondering, is there anything to be learned from that? And Kyle, you have a smile on your face right now, since uh, that's closer to your demo than either me or Darren. <laughs> uh, do, do you have any sort of comment uh, accordingly about the Nickelodeon broadcast? Should we adopt? I mean, I know it's a podcast here, but is there a place for slime cannons here in this episode of Cardinals Underground presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. I mean, if we can just pour slime on Paul every time he, he says poly podcast or poly pencil neck or anything <laughs> like that, then... I think I think the kids would love that, and we'd get the the demographic we want, which is what like five to fifteen. That's kind of the group that we make sense to. So I, I think it's a great idea. Well, that's revealing, Darren. That's right. There's some pent up frustration apparently with yours. <laughs> there's uh, apparently wow. There's that's a latent rip job right there, just waiting to happen. I, I don't know if it's late. I mean, I, I personally, Paul, I think you need to read the room once in a while. But but besides <laughs> that. I mean, I, I think uh, if, if you're really saying, did, did I hear you right? You said that that was the most watched program on Nickelodeon in, in four plus years. I mean, it just shows you NFL is king and it doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter what you slap it on. It's it's going to get the ratings, right? <laughs> it was I will say it was cool. Um, you know, a few of us uh, here at work were kind of talking about it on a group chat. I believe Jim Omohundra was the one who really brought my attention to it and uh I flipped it on right before the Saints got that first touchdown I saw the slime I ended up uh, taking a video of it on my phone and tweeting it out and it got a, a lot of engagement because <laughs> there was a lot of people who didn't even realize it was on and and it was it was fun I mean if you know a little bit about the sport it, it I mean it was pretty basic because they were trying hard to like kind of introduce the sport to people who haven't seen it before but honestly Paul the, the biggest thing that I noticed was Kurt Warner noting that um, I believe his, his oldest son is 31 and and those of us who have been around him for a long time know that his son is uh, blind and mentally disabled because of a, of a childhood accident and he was mentioning that that broadcast uh, allowed his son to watch a full game with him for the first time ever because his son was actually interested in and, and obviously uh, that's that's an extreme example, but that's what the NFL is trying to do. It's it's trying to to create some new fans, and and heck, if it's if it's getting a lot of uh, eyeballs from uh, everybody on uh, Nickelodeon, I'd go for it, right. 
and you know, that's when I first realized it. I think it was Kurt Warner's tweet. And then, and then I scrolled back and I saw the tweets from you guys. Uh, Darren, I made special note of your violation of copyright laws and sending out the video. <laughs> Lucky for you, the FBI has much bigger problems right now in this country than to track down scoff laws like Darren with video issues. Uh, <laughs> we won't go there as of this one right now. But, you know, and, and, and as I scroll back and I watch some of the highlights and some of the references, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I only understood about 20% of them, maybe. But my 11-year-old, who I use as a reference point, I say, no, wait a minute. And I showed her this on Twitter. Do you get this? Oh, yeah. She explained it to me. Every single one of the references was explained to me by my 11-year-old. So, you know, it was a little role reversal here at Casa Calvisi. All I saw was the uh, the highlights after the game. And I, I just saw the touchdown and then the little slime cannons in each corner of the end zone. I, I thought that was the best thing ever. I think we should incorporate that to Fox, CBS, ESPN, like – why not have slime cannons after every touchdown scored in the NFL? It's a no-brainer. It's sort of like the NFL draft in a different way. I mean, my wife, who doesn't know a football from a foosball, watched the entire NFL draft for the first time. Why? Because she got a window into everybody's pad, right? What it was, okay, what sort of furniture decor do they have? What's that house look like? Sometimes for those of us who get into the X and O's and the passion we have for the wins and the losses and all the analytics involved, sometimes it's good. Yours truly, most especially, did zoom out and realize sports is entertainment. That's what it is, essentially. And if it's that diversion, okay, great. So, uh, you know, I, I assume they're going to continue to do it. More platforms are better for the NFL and their growth. I'm guessing with the with all the entertainment and uh, TV broadcast contracts up, they use that and leverage that. And that might be another TV package we'll see going forward. Um, by the way, real quick, the Cardinals are going to have a 17th game, Darren. Is that pretty much decided it, at this point? It, it hasn't been absolutely confirmed, but uh, I, I would say all signs point to yes at this point. They've, they've figured out how they're going to schedule it. They've talked all about it. Um, it's just a question of actually saying for sure it's going to happen. But uh, I, I think ultimately there will be a 17th game starting this this coming year, yes. All right, so that was the good part of the playoffs was the Nickelodeon broadcast and the slime cannons. Kyle, for me, the bad part was watching a team like the Bears and realizing, oh, my goodness, the Cardinals should have been there, could have been there would have been such a better playoff team, and yet they were not. And that was, to me, the most vexing part of Super Wild Card Weekend. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, the, the Cardinals were the sixth best team in the NFC. To me, not a doubt in my mind that that's where they ranked. But they lost the tiebreaker to the Bears, and then obviously the NFC East had to get somebody in because of the way they do the playoffs. But you're right. The Cardinals, if they went to New Orleans or if they went to Seattle, I think they would have been competitive. They were, they were competitive basically in every single game this season, except Carolina. So that's a team that I don't know if the Cardinals would have won a playoff game, but I think they would have definitely had a better showing than the bears who, I mean, their offense was just stuck in mud. Like it usually is against good defenses Kyler Murray is the type of X factor where no matter, no matter how good your defense is, he can still make plays. And 
it's it's yeah it's it's a little disappointing we didn't get to see what he could do on a nice stage like that against a good defense because the Cardinals had that type of high-end ability to compete with the really good teams but the tiebreaker didn't go their way and unfortunately the Bears made it and then kind of limped out I would I would I, I would agree I understand the disappointment and I would agree with Kyle that they're probably the six bucks team in the NFC but then you've got a Miami team that beat the Cardinals that had 10 wins this season that couldn't get in the playoffs either. So, you know, again, they had their chances, you know, they, they, if they beat the 49ers, they're in and, and on hindsight. So, you know, at this point, you know, it's, it's one of those things where while it kind of stunk, um, you know, I've, the Cardinals made their bed and that's kind of how it ended up. All right. You mentioned the Niners, Kyle mentioned Rams, Seahawks, the NFC West in the playoffs. Darren, right back at you. Give me your takeaways from that Rams victory. First time the Seahawks have lost at home in a playoff game uh, in over a decade. There were 10 straight home playoff wins they had had, and the Rams went up there and got it done with Jared Goff, as it turned out. Yeah, I mean, I think what you really saw in that game was, was a couple things. One, you saw how really, really good the Rams' defense is right now. I mean, Aaron Donald got hurt and left and didn't play most of the second half. And the Seahawks really couldn't do much of anything. That was amazing to me. And it just, again, underscores, underscores what Brandon Staley has done as a defensive coordinator. And I mean, guys, re let's remember how everybody was shocked when they got rid of Wade Phillips and they said, what are you guys doing on defense? And they clearly got better, um, but they're really good defensively. And I, and I, I thought they probably made the right call with, starting Wolford a quarterback and then he gets hurt early and Goff did enough and he's clearly still not in in a great place because of the uh, thumb injury but um, that was a team that might be able to go some places just because of their defense yeah, he wasn't the turnover machine the that he had had been so many times during the season which has really cost him because I mean, you're talking about a defense that under Brandon Staley allowed the fewest points, Kyle, the fewest yards, the fewest yards passing, the fewest touchdown passes, the fewest first downs. Yeah, the best thing that happened to the Cardinals right now is if Robert Sala and Brandon Staley get head coaching gigs elsewhere. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's funny how much we talk about this being an offensive and pass-happy league, and it just shows if you have an elite anything in the NFL, you're going to be competitive and the Rams have an elite defense. And even though they don't have an, even an average quarterback to me at this point, they're still a scary team. I think the Packers Rams game is going to be fun. Uh, just seeing strength against strength like that, but you're right, Paul. I mean, if, if some of the best offensive minds in your division can get plucked into other places for head coaching jobs and Hey, maybe they grab some assistance. I think the Cardinals would be all for that because I think in the NFL, maybe not more than every other sport, but I think coaching is so important in football and that can mean a really big thing where basketball coach, a baseball manager on a game to game basis, I'm not sure how much of an impact they have compared to somebody else at their level. But if you have a really good football coach, I think that means a lot. I can't let that go though. I'm sorry. Um, Jared Goff, $134 million quarterback. And uh, Darren, he's not an average quarterback. Did, did you catch that comment from, from Kyle? He's less than average. Jared Goff, agree or disagree? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to put you uh, in a bad spot, Mr. Calbear, but I mean, what would you say at this point? 
you got to get him average. You got to give him average. Come on. You, you know, did he have some, uh, did he slump during a good part of this year? Sure. But he's at least average. Maybe. But, but if, you know, again, I do think, look, he's hurt. And uh, I think that's the biggest reason why he didn't start against Seattle, but it probably isn't the only reason. And to start a guy that had had one start in his career uh, against the Cardinals. Um, and again, it goes back to what you were saying about the turnovers. I mean, some of the things Walford does, which, which he can, he, he turned the ball over against the Cardinals, not a ton, but he did turn the ball over. But again, you, you have so much more room for error when your defense is that great. Now, you know, they're going to go play a Green Bay team that's way better offensively right now than Seattle is. And that's Seattle is another great story in terms of, you know, I read a story uh, uh, about Russell Wilson, which was, you know, his his uh, ceiling is still as high as it's been. But maybe his floor is a lot lower than people thought it was. And there's a lot of things that go into it. But um, there's a lot of people wondering what has happened in Seattle. And now Pete Carroll is talking about, we got to run the ball more, which was the whole antithesis of letting Russ cook and, and where they were at the beginning of the year. And, you know, there's just been a lot said and, and, you know, this is something we can get into. And I'm, I'm sure Kyle, who surprisingly, when we were texting about this said, he's actually come around a little bit to Pete Carroll's way of thinking a little bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll let Kyle weigh in on that. But the idea of what the Rams are doing right now with their cover two and everything is basically like, you know what, if you want to try and run against us, fine. Now they have a great defensive line. So it's even hard to do that. But if you want to run against us, fine, because if we don't give up explosive plays in today's NFL, you're not going to beat us. And that's where it comes from. And that's quite frankly, what we saw from the Cardinals when they weren't getting explosive plays, their offense went nowhere. And, and that's where we, you have to have an offense that no matter what defense the other team is playing, you got to find big plays. And it, and if you just say, well, they're playing us in such a way that we've just got to grind it out five yards at a time, teams are going to be like, fine, we'll beat you then. And when you have the top cover corner in the NFL and Jalen Ramsey, and then you hit on some of your lower draft picks, who end up being real playmakers in that secondary and it trickles down and you got a real fierce secondary to go along with that front seven. Yeah. That's how you have the best defense in the NFL. Now, whether they're able to compete in the cold at Lambeau field and we'll see what Aaron Rodgers does against them. And, you know, this year's uh, MVP for all intents and purposes, that'll be, that's just, that is the best matchup to me of the entire weekend bar none Aaron Rodgers against that Rams defense Hopefully the weather isn't bad enough that it really sort of muddies uh, our read and takeaway on that game. But, you know, the thing about the Seahawks, Kyle, is they just doubled down. John Schneider just got a contract extension through 2027 draft. Pete Carroll's under contract through 2024. Um, we know halfway through this season they had a historically bad defense. Somehow Bobby Wagner made all pro first team. I have no idea how that happened. Pro Bowler. Okay, all pro? No, not this year, not Bobby Wagner, uh, at least to me, uh, on that defense, which came around a little bit. But, you know, to me, Kyle, when you're looking at the decision makers, once you get beyond the 2013 draft, there's not a lot to like in Seattle to me. And it just, to me, is just so much credit to Russell Wilson. And yet the head coach and the GM continue to benefit with long-term contract extensions. I mean, you got to give them credit for DK Metcalf too. That was one of the best draft picks in recent years. It, it's interesting with John Schneider because you you mentioned nothing much since 2013, but that run that he had in I think 2011, 2012, 2013 drafts 
probably rivals any two or three drafts that any GM has ever had. And they've consistently been successful through these years, even though those personnels have been hit or misses because they drafted Russell Wilson and they made some other good picks. And I, I, I mean, I would be, I would have been shocked if you didn't want to keep John Schneider because of in aggregate what he's done. Pete Carroll to me is a more interesting case because he seems like a very old school coach in a league that has really evolved, gone heavy into analytics, gone heavy into passing. And Pete Carroll really pushes against some of that stuff. And we saw a lot of coaches make, to me, mystifying punt calls over this weekend. And I think, I think we're going to reach a point where you just cannot have a, a coach making those decisions anymore because they're so detrimental to your team. So Pete Carroll to me is, is the more interesting one. I understand the John Schneider extension, but if Seattle declines a little bit next season, I don't know how they're going to start feeling about, about Pete Carroll being the coach long-term, but we'll see what they do. Everybody talks about this every off season and then Seattle goes out, wins 10, 11 or 12 games. So is that decline coming? I don't know. Yeah. If I'm Russell Wilson, I'd say, you know what, John, um, on this latest contract extension, feel free to fix the offensive line because that's been an issue for a good decade plus. That's just me. We should have known, by the way, the contract extension was coming just based on the fact that a couple of weeks ago there was that story that supposedly mm, got leaked about the Lions having interest in John Schneider. So uh, in hindsight, hashtag leverage. Uh, I'm guessing <laughs> that was from his agent and that somehow hit the marketplace and then a uh, contract was done not soon thereafter. So uh, interesting how. That's a Paul that Calvisi way. move right there. You know, uh, that, that, that is a shrewd next level move. Um, look, if there's one thing the GM knows about, it's negotiating, right? And leverage. So, so there you go. Job well done on his own deal. Um, what do you think, Darren? Can we say the Cardinals are the third best team in the division? I know you got some mailbag questions along these lines, just where the Cardinals rate in the division. When you consider the Niners are only going to be a year plus removed from a Super Bowl. And they were the most injured team in the league when they get a lot of those guys back, especially on that defense. Where do you think most will project the Cardinals in the division entering 2021 with a lot of personnel decisions still to be made, obviously? Yeah, I mean, that's number one is there's going to be a lot of change, especially in an offseason where we don't know exactly how this is all going to hit. I, like I know the Rams are going to have some cap issues uh, with some guys, and I don't know what how that impacts them and what they're going to do a quarterback, but. I mean, let's face it, if you say the 49ers are going to be healthy and let's just say for the sake of argument right now, although it does seem like everybody starts talking about how the 49ers are going to try and find a way to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. But let's say they decide to keep Jimmy Garoppolo one more year and he's healthy going into next season. We'll see if he is. But if they get all healthy, um, I think the prognosticators are probably going to put the Cardinals fourth into the division. And you're going to have to prove something else. I mean, you had a chance to make some headway this year and you only finished third. And a lot of people are going to say the big reason for that was because the 49ers got so injured. So, um, you know, the Cardinals have something to prove and it's still going to be a very difficult division going forward. And this team's got to kind of figure some things out clearly. Speaking of Kyle, where do you start? Let's do a little triage on this Cardinals roster and needs, wants, where do you start? What do you think is most pressing right now? I mean, as we sit here, knowing who's going to be free agents, I think cornerback is your top priority. And then I think 
a number two wide receiver is your second priority. And then I'll go interior offensive line as your number three priority. And yeah, we'll see who gets re-signed and we'll see who's available and free agency and all that. But when I look at from a roster construction standpoint, those are the three spots to me that stand out the most. Interior O-line, let's reverse engineer that real quick. Justin Pugh, there's an option in his contract. The Cardinals can get out with minimal damage to the cap. Isn't that correct? He's not an unrestricted free agent, but there's something in there that allows them to – is that what you're referring to, that and the fact that J.R. Sweezy is up, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think D.J. Humphreys had a really nice season, and if you want Josh Jones to take over on the right side, I'm not really sure how they feel about his development, but you figure he'll get that shot – but to me, I felt like the weakest part of the Cardinals on the line was on the interior. And I don't know how that'll look. Obviously, J.R. Sweezy is a free agent. You could keep Justin Murray. We'll see how that goes. We'll see what they want to do at center. And then Justin Pugh, I mean, he's under contract. It's 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 definitely a guy who they signed as a marquee free agent. So he's making pretty good money. Um, it, there would be a dead cap hit if you released him so it's not like there's any option for the Cardinals to get out of it scot-free um, and I thought Justin Pugh had a pretty good season so we'll see what they want to do with that um, but I just feel like if you can find a Pro Bowl guard on the open market or if you're going to go do a splash signing if it's not corner or wide out I could see it being an interior offensive lineman where they're not super expensive you want to fortify the trenches to help Kyler Murray, to me, that would make sense. Especially in this division against the Rams in particular, no, no doubt. All right, let's go in reverse order. Uh, number two receiver, Darren, if you believe the reports that say David Rye uh, was terminated as Cardinals receivers coach, to what degree is that a result of the fact that Kyle is posing that question, that there is no number two receiver, at least no clear uh, candidate right now between Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella, two former second round picks? Well, you, you, if you make a move, you're making a move for a reason. And uh, I certainly don't think it's anything on a, on a personal level, which sometimes can happen. So then you're, you're left with nothing else but to think that that's, that has to be part of it. And I just, it just felt like it was so significant, the drop-off behind DeAndre Hopkins in terms of who they had catching passes. And it doesn't have to just be receiver. We could be talking about tight end um or, or whatever. I mean, Chase Edmonds was, uh, it felt like, and Kyle and I have talked about this stuff before. It felt like ultimately um, beyond Hopkins and maybe Chase Edmonds in the past game, there was, there was a lot of vagueness to it. I mean, you, you had, you know, you'd have Christian Kirk step up once in a while. You had Dan Arnold step up once in a while. There was a couple of decent games for Fitz, but for the most part, there was no place where you're really thinking that, okay, this is, this is a guy we can really be sure of every game and certainly not a guy that could draw defenses uh, away from DeAndre Hopkins or be an important target consistently if they were going to go all in on defending DeAndre Hopkins. So I think that's something they desperately need to find. Now, whether that's on the free agent uh, or in the draft, I don't know. Obviously, with the draft, it's a little bit more of a – of an interesting proposition because you don't know how quickly that guy will come around. I mean, you know, you look at some of the receivers that were taken early last year or taken, I mean, Justin Jefferson was freaking awesome. And I remember Jerry Sullivan uh, telling me long before the draft, if he had a choice, if he was making the pick at eight, 
he would love to take Justin Jefferson. He knew they weren't going to, but that was the top receiver he wanted. Um, now he worked with him at an LSU, but you can make the argument he was the best receiver in the rookie class. And I think CD Lamb looked pretty good, but Jerry Judy was very up and down. You know, it, it's uh, Henry Ruggs didn't do a ton in in for the Raiders. So Brandon Ayuk was injured a lot, but yeah, he, but was, he was productive really and when he played. Player, so when he played, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see where they go with that, but I, I think it's something that needs to be addressed and. Beyond that, I'm the two guys I'm looking at very carefully for next year, Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. We we haven't seen enough out of Andy Isabella and Christian Kirk's going to be going in the last year of his contract. And and what kind of future do they have here? And do they have to do a lot more to, to cement uh, a future here? I'm actually quoting, this is from Bob, from your mailbag, Darren. And part of his question to you about the receiver spot was about Andy Isabella and your assessment in the roster breakdown that his, quote, future seems murky. I think we all agree with that. And then Bob wants to know, quote, in the limited playing time that he's received, the speed and hands appear to be there with Isabella. What part of his game are the Cardinals not happy with? Kyle, take a crack at that. What do you think? I mean, the speed's there, but I, I think his hands have been uneven, and I think he doesn't have the the catch radius that you'd like to have for a wide receiver. I think when he's open, he'll catch the pass, but there's been a lot of contested catches where it doesn't feel like you have a lot of confidence in Andy Isabella coming down with a pass like that. And he's stretched the field at times, but he's not that type of weapon where teams are super worried about him and shading a safety because he hasn't proven it over and over. So I think, I think the hands and the catch radius is an issue. And sometimes I think team or defensive backs can get up on him and be physical. He can't get the clean release and that messes up his route. I mean, we can, we can look at it however we want. I'm not an expert, but you just look at the depth chart. And when Keyshawn Johnson surpasses you, Keyshawn Johnson is a, is fine, but he's a six round pick who is probably a depth receiver. He's not a guy who's probably going to be starting in the NFL uh, for a long time in his career and Andy Isabella fell behind him. So I think that tells you more than anything that anything we can, because they, they want Andy Isabella on the field. This, this group drafted him in the second round. They took him over DK Metcalf. Like there's a lot invested in Andy Isabella to succeed. And we saw some flashes very early on. He had that deep catch against Washington. He showed what you want him to be, but it's just been so hit or miss that, I don't think you can really count on him having a big role going into next season. And that's disappointing for a former second round pick. I mean, the reality is, is here's a guy who, when he was inactive down the stretch, uh, Cliff Kingsbury said it was because Larry Fitzgerald was back and Keyshawn Johnson been playing pretty well. So somebody was going to sit and that was Isabel at the time. Well, Larry Fitzgerald didn't play in the last game and Andy Isabella was active. And I know the Cardinals were horrible offensively most of the game in that last game. But Andy Isabella had three offensive snaps. So, I mean, even when he was active, they weren't using him. So I think that's, you know, we'll, we'll have to see where this goes. But I agree with Kyle. They they wanted him to succeed. They want him to succeed. I should say that in the present tense. But whether that's going to be impacted by uh, a new coach or not, we'll have to see. It's interesting. I remember we were in LA and, and a couple of times he did check in and you know, we made note of that Darren, right. In, in between plays, here comes number 17. And I didn't realize it was only three snaps that entire game. Um, I would agree with you, Kyle. 
if you're the quarterback and you're throwing into traffic, what sort of confidence do you have that Andy Isabel is going to come away with that ball? Um, yeah, he had the 54 catch against Washington in that same game. Remember, he caught the slant behind him and he, he used his hands. That was great. The next game, he had two touchdown catches against the Lions, the 13-yarder, the four-yarder, and then it just sort of dried up. He, he really didn't do much of note the rest of the year to the point where he was inactive down the stretch quite a bit. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned a word earlier, uh, confidence. I would cite that word as a word that Andy Isabella has used is confidence in himself. And when he has that confidence as that he belongs in the NFL and he's that guy, he seems to play better. And if you remember, he was willing to open up about that a little bit a month into this season about his rookie season. And there were times where he admitted he wasn't sure he necessarily belonged and yeah, he had the speed, but did he have the rest of what it took to be a productive NFL receiver? So if somehow he can just regain that confidence that we saw early in September of this season, because it did seem like that was missing. And with it, it sort of took the rest of his game. And, and the hard part to me is where does he fit in if you are trying to get him regular playing time? My guess would be Christian Kirk is going to be in the slot next season. It feels like he's a little bit miscast as an outside receiver because of his size, because he doesn't have elite 4-3 speed. To me, it feels like Christian Kirk is more of an ideal slot wide out. But if he does, you're not doing the four wides that you thought you might be doing when you drafted Andy Isabella. So is he an outside guy who's strictly a burner that's just going to be your J.J. Nelson deep threat? Are you going to try to get him? I mean, where, how else do you get him on the field? Obviously, if there's an injury, he can play slot. But Larry Fitzgerald missed three games this season. To me, that felt like a great opportunity for Andy Isabella to show that I can be your slot receiver. That's where you wanted me in the beginning. Look what I can do when I'm in here. I'm a little bit smaller, but I can really, I can really be elusive running these shorter routes. And it didn't pan out. And that's my concern is, is when you look at roster construction and you figure out where Andy El Isabella is going to play next year, to me, nothing stands out. You know, and Wolf has made this point. Look, the Texans went out and got a burner to pair with DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. And that was really successful. Yeah, Fuller missed a number of games. But when he was out there, DeAndre Hopkins was much more productive. And so was Will Fuller. So if you can get Andy Isabella to the point where – He's beyond a J.J. Nelson, where just the 4-2-8 precedes him, J.J. Nelson, and he's more than a decoy if he can be productive. If you're wondering, okay, how do you really unleash this passing game and keep these defenses honest who are trying to keep everything underneath? Well, if you can get a burner like an Andy Isabella, that kind of skill set, who can actually get beyond the defense and make them pay, you know, I think that that goes a long way. Now, whether that is number 17 or you have to go out and find that guy in free agency or in the draft, you, know, you pull a BA and you start looking for guys who run a 4-3 or, or sub 4-3 and you bring them in just because you think that's what's going to complement your offense. I wonder if that's the thinking to some degree going into the offseason when they try and figure out, OK, how do we fortify this receiver room? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it's going to be. The, there's so much involved here, especially in particular with Andy Isabella, going back to what we were saying before, which is, you know, this is, and we've seen the video. I mean, this is a guy that Cliff Kingsbury was so excited to draft and Steve Kine was happy to make that move. But again, like Kyle said, when they took him, there was a different view of what this offense was going to be than where they are right now. And, uh, and even then, 
we're we're like going to be two offenses removed. I know we're not; uh, they're not changing the offense that much, but it's not going to be the four wide thing. And I don't even know how much it's going to be what it was this year, just because of how they struggled. I, I just think there's so much that goes into it that at this point, it almost feels like whether it's Isabella or whoever they have in the receiver room, other than needing somebody, it almost feels like they got to figure out exactly how they're going to approach it and then figure out what the personnel are going to be, because it feels like there's kind of a, a two part, a two part thing to this at this stage. Well, which brings us to Larry Fitzgerald. So here we go. Uh, now, if memory serves, uh, based on a conversation we had earlier last year, it was this week where he made it known that he was coming back for another season, 2020. Two years ago, he waited two weeks beyond this stage till late in January and then revealed his decision to come back the following season. So it could be any time. It sort of feels like he's going to take his time in making this decision. I don't know exactly, but if he comes back, Kyle, Larry Fitzgerald, what do you think his role is? Where, where does number 11 fit? Yeah, I mean, I think you line it up similarly to what you did this year if he comes back, and that's kind of the unknown. Like, I'm talking about a number two wide receiver. If Larry comes back, you still have Christian under contract. Obviously, you've got D-Hop. Do you have the resources to get a number two receiver? Does it make sense roster composition-wise? Because – I don't think Larry Fitzgerald wants to come back and, and play as the fourth receiver, 35 to 40% of the snaps. I, I doubt he'd be interested in that. So I think you'd run it back similar to what you have this year, Larry Fitzgerald in the slot D hop on the outside. I think Christian Kirk as inconsistent as he was at this price point, it makes sense to keep him as a starter, a guy who will give you production. I think he can improve on what he did this season so if he's a seven, 800 yard guy, that's not quite the ceiling that I thought Christian Kirk could get to, but that's, that's valuable enough to have him in your lineup. I mean, a guy making whatever he's making a million bucks, 2 million bucks as a former second round pick, you want to play somebody, you need to, you need to save your resources in certain scenarios. So I think Christian Kirk needs to play. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely a wild card. If Larry Fitzgerald comes back, then maybe you aren't looking for a wide receiver in free agency in the draft, unless you're looking at it as more of a long-term option, more so than 2021. Which brings up the potentially awkward conversation. What is Larry making? on a contract next year when the cap has been significantly reduced, when his role has been reduced, are you paying him the eight figures in 2021 and, and basically putting a dollar sign in front of his Jersey number for the fourth or fifth straight year and giving him another 11 million, Darren, I just don't see how that math would compute. I would agree with you. I mean, I never say never, you know, and he does have a, a direct line to the owner. So um, you don't know how that would go, but um yeah, I mean, that's been part of the equation the whole time that I've thought is like, I don't know how they would be able to do that. Just like if you're talking about Patrick Peterson and what he has been making and what he would make for this team next year, I just, it does not make a lot of sense to me. Um, but you, you don't know. I, I would agree with Kyle though. It's, it's, a, it's a massive wild card. And, and if you don't, if you decide that you're going to go into this season with Hopkins and Fitz and Kirk as your top three receivers, then, then I think you got to give heavy thought to a tight end that may be more involved in the passing game. You have to, as we talked about earlier, to me, you have to have a, a much more dynamic uh, pass catcher at some point. doesn't have to be a wide receiver. But again, if you decide that your top three guys are going to be the guys that are already here, then you got to find it someplace else. 
because I do think that's going to hurt this team with all due respect to Larry Fitzgerald if he's, he's sticking around and you just keep everything status quo. I don't believe I know there's a lot of fans that would disagree with me at this point, but I don't believe it is all about what Cliff Kingsbury is calling on a play-by-play basis of why this offense struggled. I just don't believe that. So um, I do think there's personnel things involved and not just a receiver, maybe some other places um, on offense, but uh, you know, I, I think there's multiple places that, that have to be addressed and that has to be give, that all has to be given thought. Does Larry use an agent these days? No. He does not, right? His agent passed away a few years ago. Um, and uh, because of that, uh, he's basically worked on his own. And, and ultimately, uh, the way it usually works is he decides whether or not he wants to play. And then he has a, a conversation with Michael Bidwell. And they just basically do it directly. Uh, they have that kind of relationship. It makes a, you know, a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Um which is why it's been so quiet and quite frankly, why, you know, we've kind of benefited because Larry has allowed the, the team to announce him coming back the last two, two, two or three years, because it's the agent that usually lets it out to the Adam Schefters and Ian Rappaport's of the world. And when there's no agent, then the, the team can put out the news themselves. So that's, that's partly how that's happened. Of course, if he needs a consultant in this whole thing, he can hire D-Hop. You know, D-Hop represents himself as, as well. I still remember the headline. It was a great headline after D-Hop signing. It was, what, $42 million guaranteed? And, uh, no, it was $27 guaranteed, $42 million on the contract. Uh, and the big screaming headline was direct deposit. So that was good. That was, that was well done. It's, you know, there's always that benefit right there. I tell you, I've told this story before, but – and I think it still stands. You guys tell me, but it was actually after – the Super Bowl, the Rams, I'm sorry, the Rams, the Seahawks and the Patriots that was at State Farm Stadium. And there was an event. And I think that was the first year that Larry's future was in question. And I happened to be emceeing this event and team owner Michael Bidwell was the keynote speaker. And it was literally a day or two after they had come to a contract agreement and Larry was going to come back. And all these people were streaming to the main head table and they're all making a beeline for Michael and shaking his hand. And every one of them had one thing to say. Thanks for bringing Larry back. Hey, Larry's back. Great. Well done. Oh, man, the great news. Larry's back. Does that still move the meter in that regard? The guy who's on a first-name basis with the state of Arizona. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, I think 100%. I mean, if this is a receiver that you're looking at his numbers and his age and it's not Larry Fitzgerald, the, the team might say, hey, you know, even if you want to play, maybe it won't be here, but it's Larry Fitzgerald. He's an icon in Arizona. Everybody loves Larry Fitzgerald. He's been a tremendous ambassador for the organization. Darren mentioned his great relationship with Michael Bidwell. Like the Cardinals wouldn't want him to go play somewhere else for a season and save that $5 million or whatever it is. They don't, I mean, legacy means something. And for Larry Fitzgerald, for the Cardinals, it would mean a lot if he became, you know, if he played his entire career for the Cardinals. So I think certainly the, the name along with who he, and you know, who he is, is, is a very big deal. And, and, and I would, I would kind of piggyback off that and saying, look, on a, on a personal level, um, I personally would like Larry Fitzgerald to be able to play in his final game and not sit on the sidelines because of a, a groin injury. I would like for him to be able to be in front of fans for his final game rather than be in front of an empty stadium. I would rather 
have him have an opportunity to have that last game be a playoff game, win or lose. Um, you know, whether that makes sense. And and look, there are some fans out there that as much as they love Fitz have talked about, you know, it's time to move on for some of the things that we've talked about because of mostly the cost that would be involved. But um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that can happen. And I will say this, there are ways, and I don't think this is any surprise. There are ways where you can have Larry Fitzgerald on this team and playing a role and you can win games. It's not like we're saying if Larry Fitzgerald's playing, then you're dooming yourself to not doing well. That's not true at all. And in fact, there's been plenty of fans who have made sure to let me know that uh, while, you know, clearly Larry's separation isn't what it once was, perhaps, uh, there are plenty of times when he's open and Kyler just doesn't see him, which is also very possible. And there's a lot of pressure on Kyler Murray there, too, when he doesn't throw it his way. I think he's gotten sideways with some fans just because of how popular Larry is. So I, it's I think there's pros and cons for Larry to decide to come back. I think there's pros and cons for the Cardinals to have him back. But um, I, I think ultimately it will be allowed to be his decision and then they'll work with it either way. And uh, it's going to be an interesting next couple, three weeks. What was the comment from Kyler in his final meeting with the media where he said, made sort of a cryptic comment about, you know, there were other things going on Yeah. behind, right? Is that what, what was other things he didn't want to get into at this? I didn't right. want to get into at the time or okay. paraphrasing. So whatever that means, and we don't know, it's hundred percent abject speculation, whether maybe there's some immaturity, whether this team's evolving, uh, the <laughs> proverbial, learning how to win, whatever that means, um, you know, whatever that is, to me, Larry would be a step in the right direction towards resolving that. And so there's yet another reason to bring back number 11. I know you can't quantify that, and he's not the most overt leader, but behind the scenes, there's a lot to be said for a guy who sets the right example and shows the young guys how to act and proceed and conduct yourself as a professional. And if that still needs to be improved, if you will, based if nothing else in some of those comments from Kyler at the end of the season, then if I'm the owner and I'm the GM, I'm saying, you know what? Uh, yeah. Larry checks that box and maybe we need a little bit of that Kyle. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Here we go. I could tell by the look on your face. That was the answer I was going to get. Kyle yeah, well, the, the human element. Yep. All right. I'll, I'll give you this. I think hashtag UGH. Ugh. I think there's certain teams over the years that have gotten to a place of some toxicity where no matter how much talent they had, it didn't come together because there was infighting or a, a lack of work ethic and things like that. But I believe in totality, you're going to have a lot of different personalities in a locker room and majority wise, I think a team is as good as its talent is. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald was here when the Cardinals were the worst team in the NFL. Larry Fitzgerald was here when they made the Super Bowl. He was a leader in both scenarios, but it depended on the talent around him. So it's certainly a good thing that your superstar wide receiver is a guy that you want everybody to emulate. And I think that should not be discounted because there's plenty of diva NFL superstars that can lead younger players down the wrong track. Um, so I think it's definitely a good thing that Larry Fitzgerald is not a star that plays like that. I mean, people should follow what he does because he does things the right way. 
But when it comes down to it, for me, I look at the results on the field. I don't think it's learning how to win. I don't think it's a lot of behind-the-scenes issues. I feel like the Cardinals didn't have enough talent on offense. I feel like they didn't have they didn't make the most plays in certain situations. I think some of the close games went against them. But I, I don't I don't think it's this huge character issue or leadership issue. I just think they get a few more players. They they make the right calls in certain situations. They come out the right side on close games. We could be talking about a different scenario. I've uh, I've got a hundred percent agree on that one. Actually, <laughs> I just wow. I agree with what Kyle is saying. Ultimately, uh, you know, if if they don't play flat against the 49ers, but more importantly, if they finish off the games against the Patriots uh, and the Dolphins, like they could have or they should have, and the Lions this is a whole different conversation. And, uh, you know, if they, if they finish those games against the Dolphins and the Patriots and the Lions, even if they lay that egg against the 49ers, nobody's talking about it. I mean, I remember, uh, and you'll remember this, Paulie, Monday Night Football, uh, they won the division in 2009. Monday Night Football, they went to play a not a very good 49ers team, and they were terrible. And they turned the ball over four or five times, and it was a sloppy, gross night. I don't think it was raining, but it was – it had rained uh, and they lost like 24 to nine and they looked like garbage. Um, but nobody cares because they, they won 10 games that year and they made the playoffs and everybody forgets about it. I mean, heck, although we talk about it all the time, the Patriots lost in 2008. I mean, that's the ultimate, where's your leaders? How could you let this happen game? But because of how the rest of the year finished out, all of a sudden it's just this cool footnote about how it changed. And instead the 49ers game this year is ultimately always going to be about this just showed how they didn't have any leaders and everything like that. And I just, ultimately, I think it comes down to having the talent and playing better football. And I, I think with all due respect to Larry Fitzgerald, I think they're helped if he's around for all the reasons Kyle said, but if he's not there, that doesn't doom them to five years of, of crappy football. No, and I get it. And like I said, it's tough to quantify. I guess I would cite things like leading the league in penalties. Uh, I guess I would cite, you know, week 16 and, and what Cliff Kingsbury himself said, just the lack of intensity and urgency. You know, why? What happened? How does that yeah. play also right on the line? And, and you're going against a third string quarterback and a, and a third string running back who runs for a buck 83. Those are the kind of things that, you know, it's, were the Houston Texans behind a phenomenal year by Deshaun Watson that bad? Yeah, this, something obviously was amiss. The rest of uh, that team around uh, their stellar quarterback, for example. So I, I believe in those things maybe a little more than you guys do, certainly Kyle. But um, <laughs> but 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 we'll see. We'll see. And, and that's the that's what's interesting about the offseason. Will the decision makers come out and actually say it? Doubtful. Do they need to say it? Sometimes it's based on the additions they make. They show their hand. It's like putting your cards down, uh, you know, in, in poker. You see what a guy eventually has and you see what they think, what they diagnosed to this team, what exactly was wrong based on the additions they make. So we speculate. And then going into March, we start getting some answers. I think I'm. I'm very much on a limb when it comes to this stuff. I think coaches and, and front office people agree with you. I think they put a lot of stock into culture and leaders and following certain examples. So I, I'm the one that's kind of unique more so than what you're saying. I think a lot of people agree with you, Paul. Of course, when the uh, Cardinals draft Tra Travis Etienne out of Clemson, according to Todd McShay, number 16 overall, 
Running and back Travis be, Etienne. Yeah, Travis Etienne. Did I screw Never that gonna up? Going to happen. No, I just said a running back, so we can get into the running back debate of a first round <laughs> pick. Never going to happen. No, no. I, I mean, second round maybe, not first round. Never going to happen. I just, you know, uh, what do you do though? If, if Kenyon Drake isn't back and his contract is up, you know, you, you watch a Cam Akers, for example, and you realize what young legs can do, right? Look, look at how dynamic Cam Akers was oh. in that playoff win against Seattle. Yeah, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I think if Drake isn't here, they're absolutely going to go after a running back and probably in the draft. I'm just saying it wouldn't be in the first round. Um, and with all due respect to like Eno Benjamin, and I know all the fans that keep asking about Eno, I don't anticipate an Eno Chase Edmonds combo. I mean, I would think it would be a bigger back. Uh, it almost feels like, you know, Eno is perhaps somebody to have around, especially if something happens when Chase Edmonds gets to the final year of his contract next year, you know, maybe you make a change out there. Um, because of the position. And that's, I love Chase Edmonds. I hope he doesn't go anywhere. And I think he's become really important. But if anything, we found that the, the running back position, I just think it's been underscored the last couple of years. I mean, Nick Chubb is a second round pick and those are high, relatively high picks, but they're still second round. And, and Cam Akers wasn't a first round pick. And I just, I just think you're going to find guys other places. And this team has other spots that, I mean, if there's a cornerback at 16, I would think that they would want to go after a cornerback or if, if all the cornerbacks are gone, maybe an edge rusher with Chandler Jones going to the last year, of his deal. And at that, at this point, not knowing what happens with the other guys, or again, perhaps a 16, I don't think is too high for a really good guard. If you see one, like when Kyle talked about uh, internal or inside offensive line, we'll see, but I just, I would be willing to lay, not that I would ever gamble just so you know, but I would be willing to lay a lot of money that it would never be a running back. And that would violate the Steve Kime um, sort of right protocol for the draft, which is you're going after cover corner, edge rusher, left tackle, quarterback. If you're talking about the first half of the first round up, correct? Those are the sort of difference. Now, if you're going to find a Quentin Nelson at guard and he's somewhere in the middle of the first round, okay, I get it. But running back would seem to be a stretch, especially based on the construction of this roster. Yeah, I think definitely based on what we're doing. I mean, I'd be comfortable. You give Chase Edmonds 65% of the snaps, 70% of the snaps, and you can find somebody to play 30% of the snaps at running back. Like, I wouldn't put any resources into that. You can find a six-round pick, an undrafted guy, James Robinson for the Jaguars. I think that's his name. He ran for a thousand yards this year. Philip Lindsay, undrafted guy, ran for a thousand yards last year. Like there's plenty of guys. And, but I think it, at number 16, kind of in general, philosophically, I think you're kind of past the point where you're only looking at premium positions at 16. Now you're starting to talk about, do I want the third or fourth best cornerback or the the third best wide receiver or would I rather have the best guard or the best tight end or uh, the best inside linebacker for Paul Calvisi, something like that. So I think there's kind of a, a balance where you can get a higher ranked guy at a certain position at number 16, or you can take a lower ranked guy at a premium position. So I think everything's in play. I mean, if you really think that the running back is Christian McCaffrey, then it's worth it at number 16, but he's got to be that good in order to make it 
make it worth the pick. So I think there will be a lot of choices they can make. But me personally, I look at it as corner, wide out, interior O-line, maybe tight end. Those spots make sense to me. I, I agree that once you get to 16, I mean, I think once you get past 12 or 13, especially you're, 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 you've opened up a lot of things. And that's the one good thing about picking a little bit lower is you, I think you have uh, more elbow room. The, the issue I would have with picking uh, and, and again, five years is an eternity is an eternity in the NFL. But the issue I have with picking a running back in the first round is there we're getting to the point where it's so unlikely uh, that you're going to give some big, second contract to a running back. It just doesn't happen because quite frankly, the ones that are given out end up fizzling for one reason or another. We'll see what happens with Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had a nice year this year, but if he flames out next year because he starts getting beat up or whatever, it, was it worth it? And if you take a guy in the first round, I mean, to me, and, and I know this is a sore subject with a lot of Cardinals fans, you want your first round pick to be somebody who you, you feel like once he gets to a second contract, you're feeling good about it. And I just feel like even if you if you take a running back and he does really well for four years, how comfortable are you going to be giving him a second contract, even if he was really good those four years, you know? And hey. DJ Humphreys is probably a, a good example where you took a shot at a left tackle late in the first round and it didn't work for a couple of years as he kind of took his time, but now I mean, that's a very valuable player at a very premium position. So it, it really worked out where you're you're more swinging for the fences when you go for those premium positions. But look at a guy like Humphreys. Now, you don't have a left tackle issue for the next few years, and that's a big deal. You know, 16, Kyle, uh, you know, don't think I missed that in there. You know, my, uh, my preference for a middle linebacker is sort of the heartbeat of the defense. I mean, you know, a Patrick Willis, a Bobby Wagner uh, – Fred Warner, a Darius Leonard, one of those kind of guys at 16 overall. I could see that. Can't you guys? I could definitely see that position and that guy being there at that point in the first round. Maybe. It's funny, though. The guys you just mentioned, I mean, Patrick Willis was a first round pick. Uh, Leonard wasn't. Uh, know, he was high second round. Wagner wasn't. Nope. Uh, I mean, Fred Warner was third round. Fred Warner was third yeah, round. Yeah, Warner. So, I mean, I'm just saying if that guy, if that Luke Keekley type, now Luke yeah, Keekley yeah. is top 10, right? If that guy is there still at 16, absolutely I'm pulling the trigger on that guy. So I'm okay with that. But yeah. but again, when you're saying is the Luke Keekley there, um, that's because Luke Keekley became Luke Keekley. Now they were right, but if you take that guy and he doesn't, I mean, hell, if Luke Keekley is there at 10 you're taking them the, the thing is is you have there there is still that unknown no matter who you take at no, no matter what position it is we're, we're still talking a relative crapshoot just make sure he wasn't an edge rusher in college that's all that's all i ask before you take that inside that's linebacker. probably fair by the way speaking of pulling the trigger um now we get to find out when our jim Almahundra goes back and posts this where he's going to put the slime cannons did you mentally make a few mental notes during this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Kyle, were there a few mental notes, good, a good fit along the line somewhere in Cardinals Underground where the slime cannons would have worked really well? Yeah, right now I've got you slimed six times during this podcast. We'll see if you say anything else slime worthy. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I got them all marked down right here for you, buddy. Is, is that why you're wearing the beanie there, uh, Paul? Because you know you're going to get slimed? 
Well, no, because it's under 60 degrees in Arizona, so obviously I'm <laughs> wearing the winter weather. That's why, you know. So, and, and yeah, I, I have down here. I just got a text from that the, he double slimy when I said Pauly Parental Unit because apparently you guys <laughs> for the nicknames. So, that's fair. Uh, I guess what uh, you know in a tacit way. I, that's my takeaway from this edition of Cardinals Underground.